We love having our college-age students that are here and there back on break, and we don't get to see them as often as we'd like, but it is wonderful when we do, and to get them to minister to us. You know, a poor foundation will follow you for your entire life. Uh, the Tower of Pisa, right? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, I don't know if you, has anyone ever been to see it in person? All right, a few people have. Uh, what did you think when you saw it? Was it leaning significantly? Because in the picture, it looks pretty significant. I want you to know what happened here. They realized when they were, this was back in the 12th century, they started building it, and they realized when they were building the second story that it was tilting, that the foundation couldn't, couldn't support it. So instead of stopping or starting over, they then started to cut all the marble differently, and over a period of 200 years, they just built it with the idea in mind that this tower is going to lean. Now, do you know what Pisa means? Does anybody know what that means? No, it doesn't mean pizza. Isn't that disappointing? <laughs> it actually means marshy land. No wonder. Do you, somebody give me a guess on how deep you think the foundation for a tower like this ought to be. Does anybody have a guess? What would you think it is? What's that? 12 feet, 14 feet, it's only 10 in marshy ground. So you could see the problem here, and it's leaning because it doesn't have the right foundation. In fact, they had to put weights on it in the late 90s, 1990s. You want to show me the weights? They got some lead weights there that they added in on one side to keep it from going over. You start with the wrong foundation, and no matter what you do with the rest of it, it's going to follow you. Many people this time of year are thinking about things that they'd like to change. Maybe you've made a resolution. Maybe you've kept with that resolution. Maybe you, you haven't, but any minute now you're going to jump on board and, and that thing's going to happen. But one of the reasons why people don't bother with that is they've tried before. They've tried to change. They've tried to see something different in their life, maybe in how uh, their relationships are, maybe in how they speak with one another, maybe in how they deal with things like stress and disappointment maybe with how they spend time in God's word, maybe in their prayer life, maybe in telling other people about the gospel or serving. There's all sorts of things that we would love to see us grow in, but we've been frustrated because the change hasn't really lasted. We've tried before and the change hasn't lasted. And it seems impossible. And so we ask ourselves, where is this transformation that Jesus Christ promised? Right? It says in the Bible, if any man is in Christ, he is a, a new creature, right? A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But I can speak from personal experience where it doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always feel like that. And unless we learn a very foundational, pun intended, truth about the Christian life, we're going to end up frustrated and disappointed. And God forbid that I should show up to heaven one day and the Lord say, I wanted to build on you further. I wanted more for you. I wanted more for your marriage. I wanted more for your family. I wanted more for you in your church, in your job. I wanted more, but I knew that you didn't have the right foundation. And so I couldn't build any further. I couldn't build any further. So let's look at a very rarely visited book of the Bible. And here we're going to find a necessary piece to this transformation that Jesus has promised. In 3 John, so where is 3 John? It is different than John chapter 3, I promise. And you say, we're doing 3 John, John chapters 1 through 6. We're going to be here a while. 
No, those are verses one through six because guess how many chapters there are? One. So third John, if you say, I'm not sure where it is, go to the very back of your Bible, find the book of Revelation and work your way back a book and you will find the epistle of third John. The word of God says this, beginning in verse one. The elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Let's pray together. Father, take your word in this hour. Give us understanding. Open it to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This is written by the Apostle John, that same John, one of the, the sons of thunder, one of Jesus's disciples, the one who was bold enough to stand with Jesus the night that he was taken uh, and arrested, the one who it said leaned his head upon Jesus's breast. They were very close. He is referred to in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved or whom the Lord loved. He had a very close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of the apostles died the death of a martyr, but he lived a very long time. He was young when he followed Jesus, and he lived well and towards the end of that first century. And we don't know everything about what happened in John's life. We do know that eventually he was exiled to an island where he was uh, visited by the Lord and wrote the book of Revelation. But many historians, if you trace back through history, and not necessarily Bible, but through history, that he was a pastor or a bishop at the city of Ephesus for a significant period of time. And so here, when it refers to this elder, I want you to think of a pastor, probably literally elder. He was literally older at this point in his life, and he had seen and dealt with many things in the ministry. That term elder it can sometimes be difficult, but I want you to substitute in there the idea of a pastor, of a church leader. And he's writing here to someone named Gaius. Now, we don't know everything about Gaius, but here's what we do know. John loves this man. They have a special relationship together. And time and time again, we'll see, even just in these six verses, you're going to see the terms of endearment that he uses for him. There is a wonderful friendship to be had between men that has sadly been ruined today. There is all sorts of suspicion about there being some sort of romantic love or, or homosexual feelings between men that has caused men to distance themselves from one another. But there used to be a sweet, comforting closeness between men that was not looked at as effeminate, that was not looked at as inappropriate or weird or strange. And this was the kind of relationship, it sounds like, that John the Apostle had with this man, Gaius. It says that he is the well-beloved guys whom I love in the truth. He truly loved him. He truly loved him. Now, why did he love him? Well, what caused all of this? Well, later on, we're going to see John refers to Gaius as one of his children. Now, this probably was not literally one of John's children. It was somebody that he most likely led to the Lord or somebody that he discipled. 
Maybe there's somebody in your life that you think back to, and that is the person who first told you the good news about Jesus Christ. That he died for your sins, was buried and rose again for the grave. And if you, by faith, ask him to forgive your sins and be your savior, you can have eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Maybe it was a parent that told you. Maybe it was a grandparent that told you. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was just another Christian that happened to cross your path and wanted to share the good news with you. But somebody, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, somebody took the time to tell you. They took the time to tell you. Maybe, how many of you have that person fixed in your mind? Who was it, right? I don't need you to tell me, but you can fix, you could tell me who that was. I can remember the first person that ever told me the gospel. And then I also remember the man who discipled me. You say, what does that even mean? A disciple is a follower. When you disciple somebody, you teach them how to follow Jesus Christ for themselves. We're all supposed to be following the Lord. I, as a pastor, don't want followers of me. I want followers of Jesus Christ. But somebody God used in my life in order to teach me how it was to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I I think about that man. And when you talk, spiritually speaking, of your children, it's somebody that you have had an influence on. And isn't it a great privilege to have that? Isn't it a great privilege for somebody to say, that person was a spiritual beginning for me, either because they were the ones that led me to Christ or they were the ones who taught me how to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And they showed me those things. I can remember my first gospel preacher that ever preached the gospel to me. And we need to pray for him. He's very ill right now. His name is Marion Wojnarowski. Uh, Shannon, my now wife, but at the time friend in high school, kept inviting me to church. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going. I'm not going. And then finally I said, yes. And wouldn't you know it? I showed up on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. I forget what it was. And he was preaching and she was nervous because as you know, brother Marion is powerful. He speaks and he speaks loudly and without any kind of, um, uh, he's not hesitant. And she was worried he was going to scare me off. Praise God, he did not scare me off. I also heard the gospel through Pastor Jenkins and knew what it was that I needed to do in order to be saved. And it was Dan Wolven who took the time, the pastor of North Columbus Baptist Church when I was a student down there, who took the time to disciple me because, boy, I didn't know hardly anything. I couldn't have told you the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament. I didn't know who the four gospel uh, writers were. I didn't know anything. And he was very patient with me. This is the kind of relationship. But in verse number two, we learn that something is not great in Gaius's life. Something's not right. Verse number two, beloved, again, that term of endearment, I wish above all things, here is my earnest prayer above everything, that thou mayest prosper and be in health. He says, this is what I want for you guys. I want you to recover. I want you to be in health. I want you to succeed. I want you to get back on your feet. I want you to be able to move forward at full speed again. But apparently he wasn't because there was a difference in his life between his body and his soul. It says at the end of verse number two, even as thy soul prospereth, your soul is healthy. Your soul is growing. It's moving forward. It's, it's blossoming. And that's wonderful. But he says, I understand that from what I've heard, your body is not. There's trouble there. And what you find then is that there's more than one way to be healthy. You can be healthy in spirit and you can be healthy in your body. You can be healthy at the very center of who you are or 
you can be healthy on the outside. Hopefully, you can have both. But apparently, Gaius did not have both. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, would you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're hitting all the books that we don't normally visit today. That's, you we're not going to like Hosea next, don't panic. We're not going to literally hit all of them. Though that is a good book. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 23. By the way, all of God's word is inspired. All of it is God-breathed, originating with God, has God's perfection, no errors whatsoever, and has God's authority because it came from the Lord. So even though this sounds like he's just writing a little sign-off here at the end of this letter to the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica, we know that it is just as much as inspired as John 3.16. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the Apostle Paul writing these words, these inspired words. He's the human penman, though we know that it's the Holy Spirit that's the author. And he describes what it means for them as a whole being to be wholly sanctified or wholly to be made more and more like Jesus Christ. When I say holy, I'm not talking about as in holy, holy, holy. I'm talking about is completely. It says here, I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body. Notice those three things there. Spirit and soul and body. We see this teaching in many places throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. There is a part of you that will last forever. That is the real part of you. This body, and those of you that have been in your body for a while, this is great news. You don't have to stay here forever. The aches, the pains, the limitations, the things that you want to do and can't do anymore, that's a temporary thing. But your soul, the part of you that's really you, will last forever. And that is the part that John is praying, that he is praying that Gaius' body would match as healthy as his soul is, because Gaius had a healthy soul. There was something on the inside, something foundational, something at the very depth of who Gaius was that made him different. And his soul was prospering even when his body wasn't. By the way, let that be an encouragement to all of us that we can still prosper in our soul, even when our body can't get up and go like it used to. I know many people get discouraged when they hit a certain time in life and it's earlier for some and later for others when they're not physically able to do the stuff that they used to do anymore. They want to serve. They want to get out. They want to do whatever it might be. They want to be at church and it's hard. I want you to know if you find yourself in that place and you don't even have to be old, you could be laid up because of surgery. You could have chronic illness. Your soul can still prosper. The part of you that really matters because one day this body will go down into the ground and our soul, the part of us that's real, is going to go back to the Lord who gave it to us. He made mankind a living soul. Let me ask you this question. Do you know where your soul is going? The eternal part of you, where will it go when you die? Where will it go when you die? I know lots of people have lots of different ideas on where they might go, but the Bible only tells us two destinations. One is what we deserve, and one is a gift that's open to us. 
One is something that by our lies, by our deceit, by our selfishness, by the hatred that we've nursed in our hearts, even if it never makes it to things like theft and adultery and, and fornication, and even if it never makes it to the level of betrayal that we've heard about in others, it's enough to separate us from God. And because of that, we've sided with the enemy and we go where the enemy goes. And that's a terrible place, a very real place called hell. Just because the immaterial part of your body ends up there, don't mistake that as it not being real, because it most certainly is. Hell is not a frame of mind that people have here on earth. It's not some place that you only go if you believe in it. It is the destination of every man, woman, boy, and girl that have reached that age of accountability and have not repented of their sins. It's a horrible thought to consider. It's a horrible thought to consider, but it's real. The wonderful gift that's extended to us is a place of paradise, a place of peace, a place of rest, a place of being together with loved ones. But more than any of those things, it's a place where we will be with our Savior. It's a place where we will see the one who died for us, who laid down his life, who, while he was on the cross, though he was challenged to come down off of it by his enemies as they mocked him, saying, save yourself and then we'll believe in you. Come down off that cross and then we'll believe in you as they mocked him and spat upon him. He looked down through the hallways of history and saw you and saw me and stayed on that cross so that the cost of our sin, which for us to pay, we could never satisfy. And so we would be suffering forever. Ever. The son of God was able to satisfy and he laid down his life and shed his own blood as that atonement for our sin. And praise God, on the third day, he rose again from the dead because death could not hold him. You see, this is what it means to have our souls ready. I know some people get the idea that when life is over, it's over and you're just gone. They say things like, how bad was it before you were born? And people say, it wasn't that bad. Well, that's how it's going to be when you're done. Here's the problem. No one has ever been there to tell us what happens and to come back and talk about it. Oh, you've got all sorts of uh, stories about people on the, the operating table that see things and say things. But I want you to know there was only one person who was dead for more than 37 seconds or whatever it might have been and rose again and came back to tell us what it was like. And he tells us either we believe and we're saved or we reject God's so great salvation, and then we do not escape what's coming to us. There's a part of you that's going to live forever. You are not a body that has a soul. You're a soul that has a body. And that's a big difference. In verse number three, he continues on, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. You say, how do you know that someone's soul is prospering? You say, how do you see somebody's soul you can't see somebody's soul. You can't look into their spirit and know what's going on with them. Only God knows what's going on inside of the heart of another person. In fact, I don't always even know what's going on in my heart. The Bible warns us that our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. There are things churning beneath the surface that we don't even understand, and God must bring them to light, and his spirit must cleanse us from them. So how in the world did John know that Gaius was prospering in his soul? Here is how he knew. What was inside had worked its way outside. What was inside had worked its way outside. He says, I rejoice greatly because other Christians came and they told me about how you are adhering to the truth. 
you are adhering to the truth. And you say, what does it mean to adhere to the truth? It means to listen and to obey what is pleasing to God, to hear God's word and to do it. Look what Jesus called the truth in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, we have the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. A whole sermon series could be preached just on this chapter. And it would be a rich one. But in John chapter 17, in verse number 17, as Jesus is praying for his disciples, knowing that he is just hours away from being taken to the cross, he says in John 17, verse number 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if they are going to be sanctified, if they are going to be made holy, if, the, if these disciples are going to walk in a way that pleases God, then it's going to be done only through what? The truth. What is truth? Well, everyone gets their own truth today. Didn't you know that? You get a truth and you get a truth and you get a truth. I've seen people talking as reporters to subject matter experts about different things, and they'll say, well, I'm trying to get to the bottom of the truth. And they'll say, I'm uncomfortable with that word. Or they'll say something like, whose truth? Whose truth are you looking for? Because everybody gets their own truth. You better hope not. Because the pharmacist that's making your medicine and your prescription, you better hope that he's not coming up with his own truth. You better hope that the people that are maintaining the aircraft that you might fly on or doing mechanic work on your car that they don't have their own truth. You better hope that they don't because there's a right way that it needs to be done. You say, how can we know what truth is? Thy word is truth. The word of God. That's how we know what's true and false, right and wrong, and what ought to be done and ought not to be done. There's, there's no other anchor upon which we can anchor our lives and hope to have our souls prosper. And see, Gaius had done that. And because John heard about it, he said something's going right on the inside. And that's why it's coming out on the outside. Back in our passage of 3 John, he also says that he walked in truth. It was a daily consistent habit that he was a part of. When the Bible talks about walking in the spirit or walking in the truth, it's saying living out your daily life on a consistent basis in that way. So if you're walking by the flesh, that means you're allowing that part of you that is pulling towards sin to just have its way. And every day you're listening to that and you're doing what your flesh wants you to do. Or if you're walking in the spirit, you're listening to the spirit and what the spirit wants you to do. And it's not a one-time thing. It's a habitual thing. It's something that is consistent in Gaius's life. Verse number four, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I listen to this verse and I know what John's talking about here. He's talking about Gaius having that special relationship with him and he's led Gaius to faith in Christ or perhaps helped him on his journey to become more like him. And I know what he's saying here is the people that I've invested my life in, there is nothing that is more joyful than to hear that they, they stayed with the stuff. They kept by it. They didn't leave. They didn't move away. They didn't abandon it. They weren't blown off course by some disappointing thing in their life and quit on God. They haven't moved into some area where it's not supported by scripture, but because some winsome leader pulled them aside. He says, I love that you walk in truth, but I can't help but think about my own children. I can't help but think about my own children. 
And maybe that's what comes to your mind if God has blessed you with children. Or maybe you think about your grandchildren. There is nothing better for my children than to hear that they walk in the truth of God's word. I would love my kids to have very successful careers. I want them to have wonderful hobbies that they're a part of. And it could happen, perhaps they're going to become competitive in some recreational activity, whether it be a sport or something else. I hope that my, my son, uh, loves, who loves diving and swimming, and I was just telling about how if there's a drop of water, my son will find a way to get inside of it. I hope he gets to scuba dive all over the world. That would be wonderful. I hope that they have godly spouses that the Lord raises up for them. In fact, I pray for that. I pray that God would raise up godly young women to, to be one day the spouse for my boys and godly young men one day to be the husbands to my girls. I pray for that. But above everything else, there's nothing better than for them to walk in truth. Would it be better for them to be rich and not walk in truth? Or would it be better for them to be poor and struggling and yet to maintain their integrity and to walk in truth? I don't want them to have hardships in life, but I know how hard it is to walk without the Lord. The way of the transgressor is hard. I want them to have fulfilling relationships and I want them to be able to experience the beauty of this world. But friends, there's nothing like knowing that they walk in truth. That's one of my greatest prayers for my children is that they would love God and the things of God and the people of God and the word of God. I hope you pray that for your own children. I hope you pray that for your grandchildren. Now they all have to make a choice. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate that? Couldn't you tell them you are going to walk in truth? But no, you had a choice. You had a choice. They have a choice. I pray for them. I love people like John who love the truth. John is so excited about the truth. You see him keep throwing out the word truth everywhere. He truly loves him. He loves him in the truth and he walks in the truth and he just loves that. There are people that are scared of truth. I'm not scared of truth. By the way, I'm not searching for the truth. I'm searching in the truth. There's a big difference there, isn't there? Not searching for the truth. I'm searching in the truth. I know what's true. Now I just need to find out what God says in his true word. Do you have any children in the faith? Do you have any children in the faith? Has God ever used you to help someone on their way? You've made a mark on them. Maybe it's your actual children. And again, there's no greater joy. But do you believe that God could use you to help somebody come to know Christ as Savior? I know sometimes that sounds like the most outlandish, far out there thing. That's only something that preachers do. No, no, that's, that's not the case. Many of you have probably been led to faith in Jesus Christ by somebody that was not an ordained preacher of the gospel. Have you ever taken the time over weeks to meet with somebody and to show them the truth of God's word and to help them along? I cannot tell you what a difference it made that someone did that for me because I had all sorts of wrong ideas. Any of you ever realized that some of your ideas weren't right? You just heard stuff? I made an entire worldview out of stuff that I had, quote, heard and I thought that experts had said. And you know what happened when I looked into it? It didn't hold water at all. There was no substance to it. And then somebody took the eternal word of God and sat me down and taught me. You never know who God is going to use. 
There, there are people all over this room that God has used to help me in this way. Do you know who the first person to ever take me anywhere to preach was? Jim Scully. And there was a room full of people, but he and I are the only people that remember it. Because he wanted me to go somewhere where I could do no damage. And so he took me to the Alzheimer's ward in a nursing home. <laughs> where the people were just happy I showed up. He could have preached a much better message than me, but he gave me an opportunity. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. I hope that you take time to invest in others. Life is busy. Don't miss the opportunities to do it. By the way, your job that you oftentimes give so much of yourself to will replace you in a matter of days, maybe weeks. You can never be replaced at home. Don't forget to invest yourself in what really matters and hear them walk in truth. Verse number five, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the strangers. Do you know how else John knew that Gaius was doing well? Not just because he was sticking by the stuff with the word of God, but his faithfulness in serving others. His faithfulness and I mean, people talked about it. They're like, you've got to hear about this guy, Gaius. He is fantastic. If you need something, he's going to help you, even if it costs him, even if it's inconvenient. And whatever he does to the brethren, he does it faithfully. Other believers, when they come across his path and he sees that they need something, he's right there. And you know what's even wilder than that? Strangers, people that aren't believers. He sees that they have needs and he faithfully serves them. Whatsoever he does for them, he works in a way that's faithful, which means consistent. I'm just, I'm just, the word beloved is there again. Now, he's not getting paid by the word. He's not repeating himself by accident. There's no accidental words in the word of God. I want you to consider how much these two men must love and respect one another. If you don't have a friend like this, pray for one. Pray for one. Because something like this, it's so rare and ladies, you're so much better at this than men are. We are not good at maintaining relationships with our friends. We're just not. You get to a certain age and you just don't do a very good job anymore. People talk all about Jesus' miracles. But they rarely talk about his miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. By that time, what, what, a, what a sad thing we're missing. I look back at Jonathan and David in the Old Testament. Jonathan was the, the son of the king, and David was destined to take over his father's spot. And yet the two became friends. Their hearts were knit together. There was no one that was as close as those two, and everybody knew it. And even though the king's son knew that David would take his throne one day, and, and that would mean that he wouldn't get to be king, he still was friends with them, and they still had that closeness. What an amazing kind of friendship to have. Verse number six, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. I want you to know that the people that you helped along, they've told us about your charity. You say that he gives money to people that, that need it. No, charity is deeper than that when we find this word in the Bible. It's talking about the perfect love of God. It may manifest itself in that giving sacrificial way, but here he's talking about people can see that you love others. And whenever they talk about you and they bring it up to the church, 
They're so excited. That's how I know that things are going well on the inside. The fact that you're adhering to the truth, that you're serving other people, and that you're demonstrating that love. And he's saying, I want you to keep doing it. I want you to keep doing those people favors that are sent so that they can keep on going. If you continue to serve them as you would serve the Lord after a godly sort, a way that would please the Lord, you're going to do very well. Keep at it. Keep at it. What do we take away from this this morning? Let's look at a few points of application. First of all, recognize that you are far more than a physical body. Recognize that you are far more than a physical body. Your soul and spirit are eternal. And we'll talk another time about what the difference might be between soul and spirit. But I want you to know you will exist forever, long after this body is gone. The part of you that's really you, that's wonderful news because if your mind becomes clouded by the diseases that associate, are associated with aging, you are still going to be you when it's all done. You are still going to be you. In fact, people will recognize who you are when you reach heaven's shore, and you'll recognize them. That inner, eternal soul is really the most important thing about you. Have you ever said, you know what, my soul is out of shape? I better, I better cut back on the things I ought not be putting into my soul, and I better start exercising the right things, consuming the right things. Because that inner part of you affects the outer part of you. We're going to look at that tonight. You say, why are we talking about this on Vision Sunday? I thought this was about where we're headed in the future, and we will talk about that this year, but that is the emphasis for this year, is how the inside affects the outside. What is going on in your heart? You ever thought, what is wrong with me? We're going to talk about that. There's an answer. Not just with me. Now, that's going to be a long conversation. But with all of us. If you thought that in your heart, it's like, there's got to be something wrong with me for me to keep behaving like this. We're going to find out that there's a war raging inside of us. That there are things that we have to do. I don't want to be like that tower where I ignore my foundation thinking I can just keep building on the outside until everything's all right. That tower's still leaning and they can put all the weights on it that they want. But unless the foundation is fixed, and I don't even know if they can, it will continue to, to fall. You know what I've seen happen? And maybe you've seen this happen before. I've seen people that I thought were giants in the faith. And then they got involved in terrible sin and their testimony was ruined. Some of them perhaps were pastors some of them perhaps had the world's accolades. And they looked like they were on top of everything. And then they fell. You say, what happened? Their soul was sick. Their soul was sick. Something happened on the inside long before on the outside, and they tried to keep it hidden. You can try and put all the weights on it you want to keep it upright, but eventually that foundation will crumble. What's on the inside will work its way outward. And that's really the next point is to connect your inner life with your outer life. Your inward life with your outward life. Gaius' soul was prospering, though maybe not his physical health. That prosperity could be seen by his adherence to the truth, his love for others, and the way that he served people. His inward life is connected to his outward life. And if you want to have the outward life, like I want to have the outward life, it's not enough to just say, I'm going to do these actions. We've got to go deeper than that because what is on the inside is connected with what's on the outside. 
If I want to change my outward behavior, if I want to start speaking differently, if I want to start acting differently, if I want to stop things that are wrong and start things that are good, I'm going to have to look at my soul and its health. I'm going to have to look at my heart. I'm going to have to look at the inner man and find out, do I have the foundation to support what I'm trying to do? You see, the people like that, I've seen people that are so knowledgeable about the Bible and so experienced about the things of God, but they're top-heavy. They've got all of the mind for it, but they've got none of the foundation. They've got all of the intelligence, but none of the character because they don't have a healthy soul and they fall. Connect your inward life with your outward life. If something's wrong outwardly, it's because there's something wrong inwardly. Praise God, we have a God that can change the inside. Lastly, Let's walk in truth. Gaius lived his life according to the truth. Not Gaius's truth, not John's truth, but what does the word of God say? God's word, God decides it. If we're going to be biblical Christians, we need to let God's word be the foundation, be the authority for everything in our lives. We need to develop a consistent, habitual way of living. And that commitment to walk in truth comes with a commitment to having a healthy soul. That commitment... So I found out something obnoxious in my, in my uh, early 30s. I could no longer outwork my bad diet. I used to go to the gym and exercise so I could eat garbage, right? And then I found out, uh-oh, my metabolism has slowed down a hair and I can no longer outpace it. And I found that there's, there's no replacement for eating the right things. And if you want to gain muscle mass, you have to eat the right things, don't you? What do you need to eat? Protein, right? You need to have protein. Spiritually speaking, if you want to gain those spiritual muscles, we need to be putting the right things in. And there's no amount of outward effort that we can try and work on that's going to replace the things at the heart of it. So a commitment to walk in truth requires a commitment to have a healthy soul. All of this is connected, and that is what we are going to work on over this next year is building that healthy foundation. We've got a number of exciting ways we're going to do that, a few challenging ways. Some of you are going to hate it and you're not going to participate in it. Some of you are going to hate it but have the maturity to do it anyway. And I'm excited about that. And some of you will say, I'm already doing this. And we'll rejoice alongside with you as you teach us all how to do it. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? I'm so grateful that you came to the house of the Lord today or that you tuned in to us online. Our prayer, whenever you come, is that God speaks to you about something, that he helps you to become more like his son. And I don't know what area God may have spoken to you about today, but if he has spoken to you, and not just me, but it's the Spirit of God getting your attention about something, Maybe it's something I didn't even mention. Perhaps it is something I mentioned. Maybe this idea of you're more than a body, that you're a soul, and that your soul needs to be ready for eternity. Maybe that's the first time you've ever heard anything like that. Or maybe it's the 20th time you've heard it, but you keep putting it off, and you've never really settled that idea of where does my soul go when this is over? And if I am my soul, the real question then is where do I go? And you say, I'm not really a church person. I don't really have all of the answers to that. 
But when I talked about hell, it got your attention. And you say, I don't know that I'm saved, but I most assuredly don't want to go to hell. I'm not sure that I'm a believer, but I most certainly don't want to go to hell. I want to pray for you, friend. I do. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to call you out. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and give a speech, but I'd like to pray for you this morning if you're in that place where you just, you're not sure, you don't have confidence that when this life is over, you're going to be with God in heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, just between me and you and the Lord, would you just slip your hand up if that's you? I want to pray for you. Say, I'm not entirely sure where I'm going. I've got doubts. I've got worries. What you said today was alarming. Anybody like that today? Hand up right back down. I just want to pray for you. Believer, have you started to live so much for this world you've forgotten about your own soul? I heard it somewhere and I've repeated it over and over again that we're all living too fast for our own souls. Do you feel like that? You feel like your soul is threadbare? It could fall apart at any moment? It's just barely holding together? You feel like you're, you're that tower <laughs> and you're just leaning and you know you're going to go over at any moment unless something changes. You know that you can't keep this up. The things on the inside that you've been hiding, they're going to work their way out and there's going to be a great fall. There's going to be a great crash and you say, now I need help. Just between you and me and the Lord, is there anybody like that? Would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Amen. Anybody else? My soul is spread far too thin. It's far too weak. It can't sustain what I'm going through. I need help. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Anybody else? Would you just slip your hand up and write back down? That's me. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to walk in the truth, and I thank you for that. But you found it so frustrating because it doesn't seem like there's ever any victory or lasting change. Let me ask you then, have you been trying to change the outside without changing the inside? Have you been focusing on the outward behavior, but not your inward soul? And you say, Lord, helping me this year, I'm going to get healthy in my soul. Maybe I'm, I'm not on the death's door, spiritually speaking, but I haven't been where I ought to be, and I'm going to, I'm going to get stronger by your grace. Anybody that would, with an uplifted hand say, that's me, this year my soul is getting strengthened. Amen. Amen. It's time to work those things out, to put in the right things that I need and take out the wrong things from my spiritual diet. Anybody else? Uplifted hand, that's me. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, or if you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, or if you want to put your life in this church as a member, life and influence here, in just a moment, I'll be standing at the head of this aisle. Others will be standing and singing. Some will be coming to pray. If that's you, come and let me know and say, Pastor, I'd like to be saved or I'd like to get baptized or I'd like to join the church. Or just use this altar as a place of prayer. Whatever it is that God has spoken to you about, would you say yes to him? Father, we give this time to you. Do an abiding work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.